You know, you're supposed to start with a funny story. So Macy reminded me of one of my funny stories. I saw her all tucked up in the carrier this morning, and um, I, I'm going to tell you how old I am. Uh, I am so old that when my firstborn was born, I think she's walking around in here somewhere, um, most hospitals in North Carolina would not allow the father to be in the birthing room. We, uh, and we live in a little town called Hendersonville, North Carolina, and uh, the central hospital in Hendersonville would not let the daddy in the room. So we had to find somewhere else to go because I wasn't going to miss that. You know, I, I, I wasn't going to miss the birth of my child. We'd prayed for her to have her for six years, and we'd gone through several lost children and, and everything. And so uh, I wanted to be there. But um, we took birthing courses. Back in the day, Lamaze was one of the cutting edge, get you ready for going to... Your, your birth, you know, natural childbirth and all that kind of thing. And uh, they may have given me too much information. <laughs> because uh, during the process of Kathy giving birth, it was long and it was complex and it was painful. And uh, did you guys, any of you daddies, if you were present for the birth of your children, would you raise your hand? Okay, uh, now you'll know what I'm talking about. There is a period in the process of giving birth that is called transition. It is a very dangerous time to be in the room. Because that sweet little cute brunette can turn on you like a wildcat. Yeah, and don't touch me, you know. You did no. It, it's dangerous. I'm telling you, transition is a dangerous. It is a messy, scary, emotional moment in our lives. But it is impregnated with great hope because you want to have that Macy come to life. You know, there's that that hope that what you're going through as a mom and you're cautiously in attendance as a dad, you have, you have hope something good is going to come forth. Okay? Right now, we are in a time of transition. Worldwide. Not just in the United States of America. Worldwide, we're in a very scary, emotional precarious moment. You see, the, the, there's only been one time in my entire life that I almost fainted, and it was during transition. <laughs> when Nova Rebecca Sosa was being born. I had so much information that something went wrong. You know? 
Uh, Kathy wanted to give natural birth, but it had gone on for like 24 hours. I don't know how long, all night long. And finally, she just got worn out and she needed a, an epidural. And they said, well, if, if you get a really bad headache and your legs twitch when you're getting an epidural, uh, it could mean paralysis. And so Kathy went, oh, my head, and her leg twitched like that. And I almost fainted. The only time in my life I started going dizzy and I had to sit down and put my head between my legs because I was afraid that my bride was going to be damaged forever. That's a prophetic story. Is anybody catching on? Let's, um, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture, and then we're going to talk about transition. The transition, the societal and uh, worldwide transition that we're all going through right now, like it or not. Because once you get in transition, you cannot opt out of the birthing process. No matter how intense it gets... Once everything is in the birth canal, you got to go through with this thing, baby. First Peter chapter 1, um, I'm going to begin in verse 1 and read through uh, verse 7. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles... Of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now he's addressing this to people who had recently gone through a transition. Those exiles were the, the believers who had to flee Jerusalem because their lives were being threatened. You remember, and, and we don't really know how long it was. It, there, there's, it's really hard to track the dates in the book of Acts. And so it was anywhere from three to maybe five years after um, Jesus ascended into heaven when Stephen was stoned. But after Stephen was stoned in, in Acts uh, 7 and 8 in that period the believers were scattered and they had to flee for their lives. And so those are the people that Paul is addressing here. They have gone through, they have had to flee their homes and everything they knew in Jerusalem. It was a, a pretty drastic upheaval in the church. But he's addressing them, and this is what he says in verse 2. It says, Accordingly to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling of his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. See, he's talking to 
of people who had to flee for their lives, who had gone through this transition time. And he's saying, this is for the foreknow- by the foreknowledge of God. Now, oftentimes, biblical commentators will say that all that it was in the foreknowledge of God was that they were chosen to be saved, that God knew who was going to get saved. But I believe that the Lord knew as well the method and manner that the church was going to be dispersed. If God knows all things, he knew that too. According to the foreknowledge of God, we are going through the transition that we are going through right now. And what I hope that by the end of this thing today is that we will have a hope resident in our heart that the purposes of God are being accomplished, that he is in control. For since the beginning of time, God purposed to make you and I sons and daughters in his kingdom. And we are headed toward the culmination of this age in which we live. And sometimes it'll make you so emotional, you might have to sit down and put your head between your legs to keep from fainting. says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, which he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The salvation of God is going to be revealed to a greater measure in the day in which we live than it has ever been revealed before. Because this is a time of revealing. The curtains are being drawn back. The lies are being exposed. Truth will reign in righteousness in the earth. That is our hope. That is our destiny. Don't you let the nightly news convince you that everything is lost and going to hell in a handbasket. I ain't going to hell. Neither is the kingdom of God. I have a destiny in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in the day in which I live. Not just in the sweet by and by, but right now, today, God is on his throne. His righteousness, his truth is being revealed in the nations. I'm sorry, I always wanted to be a calm preacher, but it it seems to evade me. Verse 6, in this you rejoice. Are we rejoicing, church? I'm rejoicing. I will not be convinced to do otherwise. No matter my personal difficulties or my nation's difficulties. Because I am a citizen of the eternal 
kingdom of God. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Anybody had any trials lately? Come on now. I know what Byron's talking about. You guys don't give much feedback. You've been grieved by various trials. They just had to pack up and run for their lives, leave their homes. The people he's talking to had to go somewhere else and start all over. Think about those Ukrainians having to flee for their lives. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, see, this is with a purpose. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Everybody is wondering where we're headed. Why is everything in society and in this country and internationally being turned upside down and backwards. When, oh gosh, don't, wait a minute, I need to get permission before I say that. All right, if you don't like what I'm getting ready to say, blame it on George. Everything is getting so turned around that a nominee for the Supreme Court doesn't even know how to define what a woman is. I know what a woman is, and it makes me fearful. I've been married to the same one for over 50 years. They're fierce creatures. Now, may they, they may not be the fastest swimmer in the pool, but <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't resist that. <laughs> that one just sort of fell out. I didn't have it planned. I didn't even see that one coming. Truth is being shrouded in lies and we wonder why sometimes our hearts despair but I want you to be encouraged because that which is done in secret will be shouted from the highest rooftops truth will win out over lies the kingdom of our God is established in truth and in holiness and in righteousness. And that is what is happening. Please let us have that mindset. Let us have that philosophy. Let us have that theology that God is triumphant in our day. Yes. Pastor Byron said a few weeks ago, and I'm kind of, I did sort of, uh, I think help his English when he said this, but this is basically what he said. I did do a little bit of editorial revision. 
But he said this, we have lived for the past 40 years in an historically abnormal period of prosperity and peace. We may never get back to that abnormal way of life again. You see, everybody's, when are things going to get back to normal? Historically, worldwide, throughout human history, very few people have enjoyed the prosperity and peace that we have known here in the United States for basically since World War II until now, my entire lifetime. I'm one of those boomers that got birthed right after World War II when daddy came home from the war, you know. I'm one of those boomers, okay? And during my entire lifetime, we have not known any kind of war on our own turf. That's unusual, That is unusual. We have also, as a church, enjoyed something unusual. For those 70 years of my life, the Christian faith has known societal and cultural approval in the United States of America. There was a time when at least in my little sheltered corner of the world, if you heard someone was a missionary or the pastor of a church, they immediately had some sort of respect and status in the community. Like, oh, that's a really good person. You know, when I'm out traveling around, I don't tell people I'm a missionary anymore. Because immediately the barriers go up and they've got all of these kinds of really ugly opinions about me. So I tell them, well, I'm director of a nonprofit organization. An NGO. That's true. But the walls don't come up when I say that. You see what what I'm talking about? We have lost societal approval as a church. So we are in a changing time got to flip my page this this i usually i used to never make notes but byron has forced me into having notes for when i speak here i i'll get over it you know i'm i'm willing to i'm willing to do this this way um you know jesus spoke with his disciples about a very intense scary, emotional, dangerous, messy transition that was going to happen for one generation after his death. He, and that's Matthew 24. Now, the one thing I don't want to do is I don't want you to think I'm going to teach about eschatology this morning when all the things are the end time. That's not my point. That's not my point. But I want us to to look at this. Um, In in Matthew 24, verses 7 through 14, and then I'm going to read at the end, verse 34. This is what Jesus said to his disciples just before he was crucified. 
He said, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. You've all heard this ad infinitum. But there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are but the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you, That's good news. Um, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Mm. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, do you feel like lawlessness is on the rise? See, I'm wanting, to, I'm wanting us to see the parallel from the days of the birth of the church with the season in which we are now living. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And then it goes on to some other things, and, but it, it sums this little section up in verse 34. It says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now it's interesting that almost exactly 40 years later, a major, major cataclysmic transitional event happened in Jerusalem. Jesus was speaking this, and some dates vary, but this is, this is a good rough guess here. In April of the year 30, and we know exactly what happened in April of the year 70. 40 years later, he said, this generation will not pass away until what I'm telling you today is fulfilled. Now we know exactly what happened 40 years later in April when they celebrate Passover, when Titus, the Roman general, destroyed Jerusalem. There's this guy is called uh, Josephus, Flavius Josephus, who actually was um, a mid-level um, bureaucrat during the reign of a couple of the Herods. And he wrote a book called The War of the Jews. And he was an eyewitness to what happened. That most of what we know extra-biblically of the events that were happening in and around Jerusalem come from the, the, the writings of Josephus, which we have. And this is how he described what happened in April of the year 70. It sounds remarkably like what Jesus prophesied. He said, 20,000 Roman soldiers surrounded Jerusalem and cut off all food supplies for four months so that the city inhabitants would starve. Then the soldiers came into the city and mercilessly killed more than one million Jews. 
When the soldiers entered the temple mount area, they slit the throats of over 2,000 more Jews, probably the priesthood, who were seeking refuge on the temple mount. Then they set the temple on fire. Only 97,000 Jews survived that holocaust. And they were all put in chains and led away to be sold as slaves. That is uh, pretty serious stuff, don't you think? But you know what happened? Up until that time, even though the, the Lord, in, when Stephen was stoned, there were exiles that looked like they were having to flee from their lives. Remember when we were reading in Peter? All those ex, exiles that went throughout the Middle East there and they'd taken up refuge and one thing or another. They escaped the day of destruction. When they were going out, they think, oh, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to us. But it didn't measure up to what happened a few years later. You see, they were being protected just as the waves of captives that were taken out of Israel during the Babylonian captivity. Those were the people that survived. You see, we sometimes in the midst of our trials and tribulations don't realize that God is at work in us and through us to preserve life. And what happened? The gospel of Jesus Christ was scattered to the nations of the world. At the time of the stoning of Stephen... The gospel had not even been preached in Samaria yet. The gospel was only in Jerusalem. Now, to get a grip here, you can probably correct me on this, but I looked it up on Google Earth, and this is approximately an approximation from Jerusalem to more or less Carowinds is the distance between Jerusalem and Samaria, right? Okay. They had not gotten the gospel spread in maybe seven years, seven or eight years, the distance between here and Fort Mill. But Stephen's death at least got it started. And then in 70 AD, Jerusalem was no longer the center of Christianity. They, it was scattered to the nations and people went all the way to Persia and India and beyond. The purpose, is, now what I'm saying is, as you see, we looking back now, we can see the purposes of God that the gospel of Jesus Christ was destined to go to the nations, but the church was huddled up all together in Jerusalem when he wanted us to go out into the nations. He, had ordered, he has already predetermined our future. And our destination in this life is already set. I believe that 
the, um, we know what God's purpose is, and I'm going to read. Uh, I, don't, I don't think I got this to the people back there, but I want to read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. He said, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. In love, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. God is not an abstract judgmental power in the heavens. He is a loving father who before the foundations of the world were laid had a plan so that Joe and I could be his sons and that Kim and Kathy could be his daughters. He is working out his purpose in creation in our day. I don't understand all that that implies, but I do know this. We have a sure hope. We have a sure hope in unsettled times that the purposes of God are being worked in the nations of the world. You know, we saw, you know, I'm really... um, The real question for us is not when will the Lord return. The real question is what will we be doing when he comes? I I was sitting there and I was watching Barbara Watts' little video. This was already in my notes. And I was thinking, Barbara Watts goes to the front of the line. Because it's already in my notes to read Matthew 25. The, the end of Jesus' prophetic discourse on future events is summed up in Matthew 25. This is uh, what he was, uh, what the whole point was this. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 40. I'm going to read it. You know this, but we need to absorb this. We need to let it so much of a part of us that this is what we're looking for on a daily basis. You see, when we become his sons, and your DNA is in that little baby. Your DNA is in there. You can't, I look in the mirror today and it scares me. It looks like my daddy. You know, and I'm thinking, whoa, where'd he come from? Um, The Lord wants sons and daughters. He wants his nature, his DNA, his mercy to be so much in us that it comes out of us without us thinking that, hey, I'm doing this because this will make me a good little Christian boy and girl. This will get me out of the in judgment. I'm going to do these good works so that I'll be saved in the end. That ain't it. Yeah. 
That ain't it. What he wants to do is he wants to impart his heart and his DNA in us until it becomes so natural that it's unconscious. That it's what comes out of us when somebody cuts us off in traffic. That it's what comes out of us when somebody spreads lies about you and falsely accuses you and wants to put you in jail because of false accusations. This is what comes out of your heart. Says um, verse 31, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on the right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This ain't a new thing. He's had it planned all along. For I was hungry And you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I've been reading Deuteronomy lately. Some people don't like the law. Man, I see the mercy of God in the law. In Exodus 14, it says anybody who steals a man and sells the man and anybody who buys that man is guilty of capital punishment. He needs to for it. Slavery right there in the law was said, uh-uh. The mercy of God's through it. Another thing it says in there over and over and over again is you better be good to the foreigner in your midst because you were a foreigner once upon a time. He had to keep reminding them, you know where you were down in Egypt once upon a time. Don't let the attitudes of the world rise up in your heart against foreigners. Poland right now, is taking in millions of people. They have a lot. The Polish and the Ukrainians have been at war since time immemorial. There's all If you really study the history of that region, they've been fighting each other longer than the United States of America has even been dreamed of. And yet the Poles are taking them in by the thousands, millions Just about, we were trying to get money in this week into Poland to help with Ukrainian refugees because everybody's living room is full of Ukrainians. And the the Poles are taking them in at great personal sacrifice. They don't have food to give them. But Christians from Germany are bringing in truckloads of food. You don't hear about this on the news. But they're sending in truckloads and truckloads. I got pictures on my computer of a warehouse stocked with stuff that's being brought in from Germany to, to relieve the pressure on the Polish families that are taking in Ukrainian refugees. You see, the church is alive. Even in the times of great trial and tribulation, the church of Jesus Christ by its very nature responds to those needs. The church is not dead. 
There have been more Muslims come to the Lord Jesus Christ in the last 40 years than since Islam was founded. The church of Jesus Christ is not dead and dying and wheezing and asthmatic. See, he's got like people like Barbara Watts all over the planet. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger or welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Lord, let my natural response to the needs of others be your heart. That's what we need to pray about in times of difficulty. God is not primarily an old cranky judge looking for an excuse to send people to hell. He is a loving father doing everything he possibly can to orchestrate the circumstances here in this life, in this world, to bring people into that relationship of knowing him as their father. Oh, five minutes. Let's see if I can get out of here on time. First uh, Peter five, six and eleven. It says, uh, "Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you." I believe that the Lord wants to draw attention to an exalted church. I believe that the Lord wants to raise us up like a light on a hill for all to see his glory. Now is not the time to start digging holes to hide in. Now is the time to let your light shine, to get in out in the midst of where the trouble is and bring the gospel of peace Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Look for opportunities to glorify God in your life. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking somebody to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Pray for those people that are really going through suffering right now. And if you can find a way to help them, get at it. 
And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You see, that's where our focus needs to be. The Holy Spirit is trying to restore, confirm, and establish us in this time so that to him will be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to read this just like I wrote it because I kind of liked it when I wrote it. It says, you, me, we, all, who are in Christ Jesus have a hope, a calling, and a purpose for our lives in this scary season of intense, emotional, messy, pregnant transition. The greater the intensity of the transition, the more we can be assured that there's a birth coming. But I believe that something new and wonderful will be born out of this heaven-sent time of change. I believe what we're going through right now is a heaven-sent time of change. Because my faith is in God. Not in this nation. Not in the United Nations. Not in any wicked, aggressive nation. The eternal purposes of God will come to pass in time and for all eternity. Lord, may your purposes be at work and come to pass in me for your glory and for your pleasure. I want my life to give pleasure to my Father. Amen.